The date is May 2nd, 1997, and we're watching Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Welcome to I Used to Like This One. Welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me is the number two to my Dr. Evil. Yeah, baby. Colin Stewart here. And this week, we've brought back our first three-peat guest, and I'll give him a similar introduction as Colin here. Please welcome the Scott Evil to my Dr. Evil, Chris Wells. Is that because uh, you've been tr- secretly trying to kill me all these years? Yes. Okay, okay. Oh, shit! That's, that's on ho- tape now! <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was hoping he was just going to say, blow me, but <laughs> that works too. <laughs> so this week, we're looking back at May 1997, when the movies in theaters were Anaconda, Volcano, Murder at 1600, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, and of course, our movie for today, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, which earned $67.7 million on a $16.5 million budget. I I was disappointed it didn't earn $100 billion, to be quite honest. (laughs) At least that way I could have done a terrible Dr. Evil impression. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you should have have done it anyways. You could have been like, and it earned $7 million. $67.7 million. Yeah. There you go. There we go. We got a couple in. And as always... Please remember that there will be spoilers ahead, so if you don't want this movie to be spoiled for you, please hit pause, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say. The tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, If he were any cooler, he'd still be frozen, baby. (laughs) Or, alternately, I did find another one, Frozen in the 60s, thawing spring 97, baby. Hmm. (laughs) Or, one more, debonair, defiant, defrosted. It's interesting that the cryogenic freezing plays such a big role in all three of those uh, taglines. Yeah, and really nothing about the fact that it's a spy movie. Yeah. But those, of course, may not be the best descriptions of this movie. Like we just said, it's not even mentioned that it's a spy movie. So let's go to Colin for a 60-second synopsis. All right, here we go. When the evil, Dr. Evil, freezes himself and escapes in a big boy, 1967's greatest super spy and international man of mystery, Austin Powers, has himself cryogenically frozen in case his arch nemesis should ever return. 30 years later, Dr. Evil returns to take the world hostage for, everyone raise your pinky to your lip and say it with me, $100 billion. (laughs) Thank you. With the world in peril, it's up to newly thawed Austin and the lovely Vanessa Kensington to thwart Dr. Evil's nefarious scheme and save mankind. And that is your 60-second synopsis. Right on. Now, I know that when we first started our podcast, Chris said to me, if you ever do Austin Powers, I want to be on that episode because this is your favorite movie. Oddly enough, yeah, 
it's definitely the movie I've seen most out of any movie ever. Like it's wow. I don't know why, but it's just it's one of those ones that I always put on in the background and I always enjoy. It's and it just it holds a very special place in my heart. I don't know. I I used to that one monologue that Doctor Evil gives in the. Uh, the support group or whatever. I used to say that in drama class all the time and do that for auditions <laughs> for plays and stuff like that. Like, I love this movie. Right on. That's amazing. Yeah, I know that you had a friend that you used to pal around with in junior high. And every time you guys got together, this was the first movie that you guys would put in. Like, I probably firsthand witnessed you watching this movie at least a dozen times. At least. <laughs> Were, were there any ever any times when you would turn it off and start it up again immediately? Um, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I, I usually always have it on all the way through. I'll tell you though, I think I've only seen Goldmember maybe three times. Wow. Okay. Like I, I, I've seen the first two probably fifty. Like honestly, like I've seen them both a lot, but Goldmember, I don't know. I've just I've only seen it a couple of times. Well, what about you, Colin? What's your experience with Austin Powers? I'm going to say that I've actually seen this one the least, the first one the least. The, the Austin Powers movie I saw first was actually The Spy Who Shagged Me. Okay. And oddly enough, I was telling my wife this, I think I watched it for the first time in junior high school. Someone brought it in and our teacher let us watch it in class. Yeah. I don't think I don't think they knew what kind of movie it was <laughs> because I don't think that these kind of movies generally would be allowed to be watched in a school these days. Yeah. But I've seen I've seen the spy who shagged me a lot. But I've seen I've the opposite. I've probably seen Goldmember the most. Yeah. Because and similar to you, Chris, saying all the lines. I remember when I was in junior high and high school, it was all about fat bastard. Oh yeah. And all his yeah. all his lines and like you know like <laughs> put him in my belly. <laughs> yeah. Is that a baby? The other other white meat, oh, baby. It's baby what's back, for baby dinner. Back, <laughs> like all that and and the the mole the mole was a huge gig yeah. that everybody yeah. would make fun yeah, of yeah, yeah. and stuff good and old so, fred savage but it was a, it was a time before obviously like streaming and even mm -hmm. torrenting and there wasn't really that many video stores where i'm from so like if you missed a movie you weren't really able to go into the back catalog yeah you maybe saw it on tv when it was playing or something like that so I'm I'm pretty sure I actually watched the original, the first Austin Powers movie last. Okay. I eventually watched it later on. So went back to the origin story. <laughs> it's like yeah. pretty cool. I have very I have very fond memories of Austin Powers and just and just really loving it as a kid. Well, and it's kind of funny that you say that that you watched the sequels first and that sort of thing because like the box office numbers also reflect that fact as as a whole the franchise has earned a ton of money but this first one only earned 67 million dollars but the other ones are like 200 300 million dollars so hmm. this one was a slow one to get out to the population yeah i think part of the reason why i remember these movies why there's so much nostalgia is they they kind of came up at around a time I think when you're in junior high, that's kind of where that's where what's funny to you really matters. That's where I think you first kind of start picking up about what kind of your comedy tastes are. And mm -hmm. usually in junior high, it centers around, you know, dick jokes and that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, so of course. these these movies really fit that mold. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also funny that earlier today, I was kind of thinking about the fact that when we did Blazing Saddles, we were talking about the fact that it was a spoof movie, but... 
it seemed like the world's biggest inside joke because we didn't understand any of the spoofs. Yeah. But then we take a look at another movie the very next week, which is also a spoof movie. But this one, I get the humor. And maybe it's because that was my generation. Yeah. But for you, Colin, what is your experience with like, because we know that you weren't much of a Western guy. What's your experience with like spy movies and, and the James Bond movies that this is poking fun at? Well, so that's the other thing is because I watched The Spy Who Shagged Me first, it came out probably around the same time as GoldenEye. And so because I was big into N64, GoldenEye is probably the greatest first-person shooter game ever made. Best video game. You know, everybody was kind of in a James Bond mode at that time and i mean that's where i started watching james bond was with GoldenEye, and so i did have the yeah the pierce brosnan stuff so i did have a reference of james bond when i watched these movies whereas like you said with blazing saddles the only western i'd probably can even think that i've seen is young guns and it's not (laughs) that kind of it's not a spaghetti western like that Nope, definitely not (laughs) well already let's jump into austin powers it's directed by jay roach who directed all of the austin powers Dinner for Schmucks, Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, Mystery Alaska, Trumbo, and The Campaign. It's produced by a four-person team here, and all four of them have been a producer on every Austin Powers. Mike Myers, of course, who also produced The Love Guru and the recent reboot of The Gong Show. Demi Moore, who was also a producer on G.I. Jane and Now and Then. Jennifer Todd, who is a big Oscars producer, plus Alice in Wonderland, Across the Universe, Memento, Idle Hands, so more Seth Green in that one. That's that's another one, one of those horror comedy movies that I absolutely love is Idle Hands. Yeah. And also produced by Suzanne Todd, who also produced Power Rangers, the movie, G.I. Jane, Idle Hands, Memento, Bad Moms, and Alice in Wonderland. This is probably the most females that we have seen in any of the movies that we've covered that are part of the behind the scenes people. Yeah. Like Kathleen Kennedy seems like one of the only names that has shown up. And I, I remember we had uh for Land Before Time, I think we had a female writer, but three female producers. This is uh momentous for us on I used to like this one. Yeah, I was a bit shocked to see Demi Moore. <laughs> yeah. Just because I don't know. It is it doesn't even seem like a movie I could imagine Demi Moore watching. Yeah. <laughs> she seems so straight-laced and serious. Yeah. So it's written by Mike Myers, who wrote all the Austin Powers, both Wayne's World, SNL, he was a writer, and uh, of course, The Love Guru. <laughs> Worst movie. Worst movie ever made. <laughs> that one is pretty bad. I, I do like So I Married it. an Axe Murderer, though. That's one Mike Myers that I really love. Yeah, I remember watching The Love Guru in theaters, and I think all I remember is feeling a sense of betrayal. <laughs> because Austin Powers sold you so well on Mike Myers. And I thought The Love Guru was just going to be a continuation of that kind of thing. Yeah. And then it was just... Honestly, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's got to be a low point of Justin Timberlake's career, too. (laughs) (laughs) So we we open on words on the screen telling us 1967, somewhere outside Las Vegas. And this is the secret lair of Dr. Evil, who we don't get to see the face of, kind of like Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget, so that the payoff of his reveal is bigger later. But see, 
Karate Kid, this is how you do words on the bottom of the screen. You don't do it once, you do it throughout. Oh, boy. (laughs) He is sitting around the table with all his henchmen telling them that they've failed him, which makes his cat, Mr. Bigglesworth, upset. And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people People die. die. And he starts pushing buttons on his desk, labeled with the names of his henchmen, causing them to get knocked out of their chairs and into a pit of fire. The only two people that are spared from a fiery fate are Mustafa, played by a cultural appropriating Will Ferrell, who is from SNL, Elf, Anchorman, Talladega Nights, blah, blah, blah. We, we know Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell yeah. yeah. But, and Will Ferrell before he was Will fucking Ferrell, right? And uh, the other one spared is Frau Farbissima, who is played by Mindy Sterling, who has a bunch of TV and voice work credits, including a series that Colin and I have both mentioned on this show is enjoying. She's Mrs. Schwartz on The Goldbergs. Oh, nice. These two have been spared to take down Dr. Evil's nemesis, Austin Powers. Now we get more words on the screen announcing we are now in London, England, and we get our groovy music starting and lively opening credits. It's our introduction of our title character, Austin, Danger Powers, who is played by Mike Myers, who reprises the role in the sequels and some Britney Spears and Madonna videos. <laughs> he plays Austin Powers in those. Uh, and of course, from SNL, Shrek, Wayne's World, So I Married an Axe Murderer, The Love Guru, and Cat in the Hat. Ooh, those last two. Ouch, Mike Myers. Hey, The Cat in the Hat's a pretty good movie. I enjoy that one. I think one. so? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen those movies. What, you Cat in the Hat? Or the no, I haven't seen Cat. I've seen the uh, Jim Carrey. Actually, Grinch, I haven't yeah. seen the Jim Carrey Grinch. No? Oh, really? I, just, I just I just watched the one with ben, Benedict Cumberbatch over oh, Christmas. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that over Christmas too. Yeah, I thought that one was pretty good. But I haven't seen the Cat in the Hat movie. That either. and Wonder Woman, which is a piece of shit. And uh, I also watched that We Can Be Heroes on Netflix because Pedro Pascal is fucking everywhere right now. Oh, yeah. It's it's like a Spy Kids type superhero movie. It's Robert Rodriguez. Like it has Shark Boy and Lava Girl in it. Oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. I tried. I tried watching it, and I just it just seemed too campy for me. Well, but I watched it with my kids. Yeah, I so, feel like your kids would like it. Yeah, what was funny about Shark Boy in it though is in the original Shark Shark Boy and Lava Girl, that's Taylor Lautner. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they obviously couldn't get him back. They got the real Lava Girl back. But so Shark Boy just doesn't say a thing the entire movie and he keeps his mask on the whole time. So it's like, okay, that's how you recast Shark Boy. But anyway, Austin Powers is all things 1960s. He's stylish and cool. He's a spy, a fashion photographer, and so famous that women chase him down the street. And all this chasing and dancing ends when Mrs. Kensington pulls up in the Union Jack-painted convertible shaguar and drives off. Mrs. Kensington is played by Mimi Rogers, who, frankly, I thought was a bigger star for some reason when the movie came out. Like, there was such a big deal about, wow, Mimi Rogers is in this movie, but she's in stuff like Ginger Snaps and Dumb and Dumber-er when Harry met Lloyd. Like, she was in Gung Ho, Monkey Trouble, the terrible Matt LeBlanc lost in space. Like, maybe I just thought she was a bigger star because she was married to Tom Cruise for a few years. Well, that was set up by the Scientologists. Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) They are driving along when the not-at-all-subtly-named Basil Exposition calls on their car's video screen. (laughs) It's kind of like how names used to come from occupations, like this is Mr. Baker or Mr. Shoemaker, right? Like, (laughs) he's Basil Exposition. Michael York, 
plays Basil Exposition, who is another person I always thought was a bigger star. But, like, he was in Logan's Run, Murder on the Orient Express, Cabaret, 54, and he does a bunch of voice work, but he really... that Those were kind of the biggest credits of his I could find. He brings them up to speed on the mission, as his name would suggest, telling them that Dr. Evil has been spotted at the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club, and that they should proceed there. I have always loved the TV sight gag here, though, how, how the TV is perfectly clear, just like it would be in an old 1960s spy film. But later, when he gets the AOL message, it's all distorted and choppy. Like, it's a very intelligent joke in this movie. Hmm. Not, not like the in-your-face spoof shit that they put in blazing saddles too intelligent for me <laughs> to pick up on yeah they arrive at the electric psychedelic pussycat swingers club and austin is in his element dancing having a good time until mrs kensington mentions dr evil and his whole demeanor changes and i do love mike myers acting choice to always getting this business face on every time dr evil is mentioned like for a parody and all the wackiness of the character He's also a smart character that does a good job. Like, he's good at his job, you know, even through everything else that he does. Like, it's not a get smart situation. Yeah, he's not like a bumbling idiot. I mean, he kind of, he like, once he goes to the 90s, he makes a few a few mistakes. But he's still like, you can still get on board with the fact that he's a competent spy. Yeah. Yeah. Through Through all his wackiness, yeah. So now that he's got his game face on, his first order of business is to punch the waitress in the face. Mrs. Kensington can't believe what she's just witnessed, but it turns out to be a man, man. One of Dr. Evil's assassins in disguise. <laughs> and then that is one of the stupid jokes that I absolutely love, though, is like how much different the knocked out person looks from the... <laughs> immediately has like a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> So Austin grabs him and is yelling at him to tell him where Dr. Evil is when the assassin gets assassinated by Dr. Evil shooting him in the back with a... Is that a spear fishing gun? What does he shoot him with? Like a harpoon gun yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It looks like a harpoon. Yeah, okay. The spies spot him up in the balcony and give chase just to lose him when he and Mr. Bigglesworth get into a silver escape pod and the doors close with the words cryogenic freezing beginning <laughs> written in big bold letters on the front. <laughs> and, and the pod launches because it's part of a rocket shaped like a big boy. And I can't think of a better segue than that to go to sponsorship corner. I knew that was going to be the the jumping off point for this one. <laughs> yeah, you always you never know. You always wonder how long it's going to be, how how far into the show are we going to get before it finally comes out. <laughs> Here we go. So, I well, we've already passed a lot, which is why I'm like I can't put it off any longer cuz Outside the Electric Pussycat Psychedelic Swingers Club or whatever it's called, there are a whole bunch of like electric billboards above the door and all of them had an advertisement on them. Like <laughs> I, I had to write them down. But so here I am always looking for product placements and movies and this one does not disappoint. This week, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery is brought to you by Bob's Big Boy, Skull Chewing Tobacco, Wrigley's Gum, Jaguar and Morris Cars, Gordon's Gin, Daily Express and USA Today Newspapers, Campbell's Soup, Burt Bacharach, The Birds and Nirvana, Burger King, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, The Game Twister, 
Acer and Casio Electronics, America Online, Crest Toothpaste, Scope Mouthwash, Tab Cola, Cat Bulldozers, Beavis and Butthead, Meow Mix Cat Food, Columbia Wreckers, and Pennywise Clothing. Plus, I will also say, sponsored by Las Vegas. Like, originally I started writing down casino names because there seemed to be certain ones that were being highlighted more than others. But then there's a montage moment where it's like him walking down the street and all the names of the casinos are showing up in the background. Yeah. And they they seem to have list every casino in Las Vegas. So at that point, I'm like, fuck. Sponsored by Las Vegas. Yeah, I was going to bring up that scene when you started this one because, yeah, there's a lot that pops up during that because it's just like a constant neon yep. sign flyby. Yeah. I didn't hear if you if you mentioned who the, who made the dental floss. The dental floss, I couldn't tell. It looked like it said Thompson and Thompson on it. And it's, I'm like, well, is that just a spoof on Johnson & Johnson? They couldn't actually get a dental floss company? <laughs> yeah, no, that one was one I really checked out because I'm like – is that Johnson & Johnson? But didn't look like it to me. It looked like a fake name on it. And of course, Austin Powers is also brought to you by Swedish Made Penis and Larger Pumps and the book, Swedish Made Penis and Larger Pumps and Me, This Sort of Thing is My Bag Baby by Austin Powers. There you go. <laughs> and this has been Sponsorship Corner. We get a little bit more exposition from Basil, telling us that Dr. Evil got away was that with... A, was that a pun because his name is ex Basil Exposition? Oh, well, I figured uh, everyone's mind would jump there anyway, so... <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> but he's telling us that Dr. Evil got away and cryogenically frozen himself, you know, just in case we missed the giant words on the door of the escape pod earlier... <laughs> This is all done over us watching the big boy orbiting Earth, and then we get a time jump where we see a much more weathered-looking big boy and are told with the words 30 years later on the bottom of the screen, do things weather in outer space, though? Well, I'd assume the cold of outer space would affect a big boy statue. I doubt it's particularly made to... Well, I mean, it probably was made to withstand because it purposefully rocketed itself up into space yeah hmm. but it's like it's it's it, i don't know the the distressing on it looks like dirt and rust to me and i feel like both of those things wouldn't be possible in well, outer yeah, space rust requires oxygen exactly <laughs> so i don't know i just think the one thing i wanted to say about that was like what an odd plan for dr evil to think i'm just going to freeze myself for 30 years you would have thought if he was truly evil, he might have come up with some sort of time machine and just went immediately. Yeah. I don't know. I assume his plan was to try to outlive Austin Powers, who kept thwarting him. But then Maybe. again, cryogenic technology obviously existed unless he was super devious and developed it on his own. Yeah. They also don't really explain, or at least I don't remember, they don't really explain how Dr. Evil thaws himself. I mean, mm. cryogenics, for anybody who's wondering, doesn't work as of yet. But I mean, mm -hmm. Austin goes through a pretty rigorous thawing protocol. Yeah. And they don't really explain what happens to Dr. Evil. It seems like he kind of just like crash landed and melted in the desert. <laughs> and then it was just all, just all good. Well, I assume number two and his lackeys came and picked him yeah, up. Yeah, Frau probably came and picked him up. But I mean, may maybe his plan was just if I go away long enough, maybe they'll forget about me. <laughs> yeah. 
So next up, we see NORAD in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The radar operator, played by Clint Howard, has spotted something unusual on his screen, so he calls up General Gilmore, who is played by Charles Napier, who has 203 credits, 49 episodes of The Incredible Hulk, Rambo 2, Ernest Goes to Jail, Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, Jury Duty. <laughs> He's got, his credits are all over the place. His response to this is, oh no, he's back. Forget what you've seen. Call the president. Prepare the jet. Feed my fish. But not too much. I'm off to London, England. <laughs> I'd be interested to know if you if you checked how many of that guy's credits is he playing a police officer, a military person. Yeah, he's oh, definitely he a general for half of those. Yeah. He looks like he's bred for it. Well, yeah, I mean, even looking at the names, Silence of the Lambs, he was probably one of the FBI guys. Uh, Rambo 2, he was probably an army guy. Incredible Hulk, he was probably an army guy. I bet you played Roz. General Ross. Maybe. I don't know. That scene was also very distracting for me because whoever cut the general's part, it's like when you're watching, you can see it, it's the camera skipping. Yeah. Where they've cut where they've cut stuff out. Oh yeah, yeah there is a very obvious one in that scene, yeah. <laughs> it was very very distracting. Yeah. Now the words on the screen tell us London, England, Ministry of Defense. The general has met up with Basil and a Russian general to thaw out Austin Powers, who chose to be cryogenically frozen as well until Dr. Evil returned. They are taken to the celebrity ward where we see Gary Coleman, who looks like Urkel to me. Every time I see him before I read the name, I'm like, that's Urkel. It looks like he's wearing suspenders. I don't know. And Vanilla Ice frozen before coming to the frozen Austin Powers covering his junk. The defrosting procedure of Austin goes through its different phases, laser cutting phase, warm liquid goo phase, which is always my favorite one, <laughs> reanimation, cleansing, and evacuation, a.k.a. peeing for a really, 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 really long time. I've uh, timed it, actually. Uh, he pees for a total of 50 seconds. Okay. And uh, the first pee is a full 30 seconds that we just watch him <laughs> pee for. And then when he pauses, it's another full 10 seconds after that. And then for the short burst, it's another 10 seconds. There, and there, there's always been something about the, the voice that's announcing it all that has always bugged me because, you know, it's the evacuation complete. Com evacuation complete. Evacuation come, come, come. Evacuation come. <laughs> it's just, why, uh, why does it go back to regular evacuation? Uh, inconsistency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that scene is for whatever reason that gig i find is so much funnier than it has any right to be oh, it's, yeah. it still gets me yeah every time i watch it, it la i laugh yeah and i'm just like it's so basic <laughs> it's the literal definition of potty humor like, yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other joke that still gets to me is the one about the Russian general where he thinks oh. that capitalism lost the Cold War. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> and of course, one of the side effects is his inability to control the volume of his voice. But Dr. Evil is back and again he gets serious at the sound of Dr. Evil's name and asks, when do I start? Immediately. So they need someone to help him climatize to the 90s life. Enter the daughter of Mrs. Kensington, Vanessa who is played by the fucking smoke show Elizabeth Hurley. Oh my god, Elizabeth Hurley is so beautiful. And if you if you've seen her Instagram, day. yeah, she is still gorgeous and she's almost 60 now. Yeah. Oh. I know I was watching this movie and I 
I was like, what happened to Elizabeth Hurley? Because mm-hmm. yeah, she is like dynamite in this and, movie and bedazzled. And then I, oh, I bedazzled she and is. Bedazzled, oh. Yeah. Oh. I think she does a lot of TV now. I looked her up on Instagram and I, I was like, she looks. She almost looks younger, or at least the same age as she is in this movie. She's yeah, she's aged very well yeah. for someone who's fifty five years old. Yeah, well, she is in Passenger Fifty Seven, serving Sarah, bedazzled. So, like Chris said, lately though, like she's TV, the Royals, Gossip Girl, Runaways, and then we get to see another side effect of the unfreezing process: no internal monologue, as Austin says outside how sexy she is. But damn, oh, she is. And, and he bets that she shags like a minx. <laughs> Austin now gets his possessions back. His suit, his medallion, his shoes, his Burt Bacharach, plays his hits record, his Swedish-made penis and larger pump, his warranty card for a Swedish-made penis and larger pump, his credit card receipt for the Swedish-made penis and larger pump, and his book entitled Swedish-made penis and larger pumps. And me, this sort of thing is my bag, baby, written by Austin Powers. <laughs> I like that the cryogenic place chose to hold on to these 10 items for him like where are the rest of his things well, are these the only things he was allowed to keep see, from the 60s well th- this this as far as i can assume this is like when you go to jail and you have to surrender everything that you've got on you <laughs> on your person <laughs> so that means that he was carrying around this record and this penis and larger pump. And I'd like, like to say in his pockets. I'd like to say that he just got it, considering he has the receipt and stuff like that for it. But then again, <laughs> he has a book written for it, also on his person in that scenario. So yeah, is he getting a second one? Oh, I I don't know. Who knows? So we go back to somewhere outside Las Vegas. Something in the freezing process went wrong for Mister Bigglesworth. So he is now hairless. H- have either of you ever touched a hairless cat? Like, how weird does it feel? No. No? I assume it feels like that bald spot that's on Maggie's back right now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, when you shave your head, like, really, really smooth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, it would just that. Well, the skin would move a lot I know, right? It would just be, like... Like The skin on your head is very tight. Yeah. Well, the person responsible for the miscalculation is Mustafa. Dr. Evil is a displeased man and takes out his wrath by pushing Mustafa's death button and sending him to his fiery death. And we finally get to see Dr. Evil, who, shocking twist, is played by Mike Myers, who was in 54, in Glorious Bastards, Pete's Meteor, Mystery Alaska, and Bohemian Rhapsody. I just wanted to throw in his his other side. Yeah, Uh, I also remember an episode of Littlest Hobo that that had him in it as a kid. Really? Yeah. I love The Littlest Hobo. That's like the most <laughs> Canadian show there is. Yep. Or Danger Bay. Yeah. I, I read that, that Mike Myers was trying to convince Jim Carrey to play Dr. Evil. Yes. And I, I don't know if that would have made the movie better. It definitely wouldn't have made it worse, but yeah, I was trying to imagine, especially because we're planning on doing Ace Ventura and that they're around the same time. Yeah. And so just the type of comedy that Jim Carrey was doing, I feel... I actually feel like Jim Carrey would have been a better, like, the way I envision him is more of Austin uh-huh. and less Dr. Evil, but it would have been interesting. Yeah, because yeah, Dr. Evil is stiff. Yeah, and he had conflicts with Liar Liar, which is, like, the only reason he didn't do this movie. Uh, so we had to wait till Sonic the Hedgehog came out for us to get a very Dr. Evil-type villain out of <laughs> yeah. Jim Carrey. Because Cable Guy and, and Batman Forever, those ones, those are clown Jim Carrey. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess so is his role in <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> 
So it turns out that Mustafa is not quite dead yet, just burned badly. I still love this whole joke too. Doing something that Mike Myers often does, like running a joke until it's not funny, <laughs> but continuing on until it's funny again. It's like a circle. Yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. yeah this, these jokes are cyclical. And it's funny that you say that... Uh... It's uh, shockingly played by Mike Myers. You said that very facetiously because it was shocking for me. I'll tell you, I probably watched this movie a dozen times before I realized. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Same with <laughs> Fat Bastard. That probably took me a few times to realize as well. Well, Fat Fat Bastard is easier because with... With Fat Bastard, he's doing the exact same voice that he did in So I Married an Axe Murderer as the grandpa. He played the grandpa. Mm. In, and, so, and so it was the head, pence, no. Right? He had this really thick Scottish accent. And so, I mean, that's just Fat Bastard. Get in my belly. But okay, well, you were young, so I, I can understand why. I can just see the disappointment on Sean's face. I can't believe this is my son. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I can get it. I mean, 12 times, I don't know. Well, it's probably an over-exaggeration, but it definitely took a while before I realized that. I, I know I mentioned in Mike Myers' credits that he was a producer on the recent reboot of The Gong Show, and I actually did watch that. And... He was the host as well, but he wasn't Mike Myers. He was playing some guy named Tommy something. And like just the way he was, like the makeup, it was convincingly not Mike Myers, but like close enough. But I'm just like, this this Tommy Maitland guy is exactly like Austin Powers. What the fuck is going on? And I watched the whole first season of that before I realized that Mike Myers plays Tommy Maitland. And I'm like, okay. So I, I can see where you didn't realize that Dr. Evil is. Oh, yeah, okay. And The Gone Show came out like five years ago. Like, I, I was in my mid-30s, and so it wasn't just a kid thing. The one thing that's kind of weird for me now is, I've like I think I've mentioned this before, I'm not a big SNL guy. Mm-hmm. So I never really picked up on the fact that the Dr. Evil voice, he's he's doing Lorne Michaels from SNL. Yeah, that's another thing yeah. that I just recently yeah. figured out, actually. Yeah. It wasn't until I heard some other people doing Lorne Michaels impressions, and I was like, why are they doing the Dr. Evil voice? And then Exactly. I, yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but on this watch of Austin Powers, with everything that was going on in the, in the States over the last little while... He seems very Trumpish to me. Like some of the ways that he delivers lines, I could totally see him doing a Donald Trump impression. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, not not necessarily just, just not the necessarily, lips. The lips. I wouldn't say the voice, but it's like the cadence. Yeah, the cadence, yeah, the yeah. cadence, and like of of how he talks is kind of Trumpish. That is, and true. and the way he sticks out his lips and like does that pout thing, like it's yeah. just when when you see Alec Baldwin doing Donald Trump on SNL, it's like very much leans into those lips and everything like that. Hmm. Yeah, finally, though, we hear Mustafa getting shot after wringing that sponge of a couple more drops of comedy juice, and he is dead. Well, well, it's important to remember Mustafa does return in the next yeah, movie. That, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers for anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen it in a while. So we meet Dr. Evil's new evil gang made up of Frau, Patty O'Brien, who is played by Paul Dillon, who people are always trying to get his lucky charms. <laughs> Random Task, who is played by Joe's son, who, who was in Shoot Fighter like William Zabka. But Joe's son is actually currently in prison. He's serving a life sentence oh, yeah. for the torture of a 19-year-old woman in 1990. Yeah, this guy's a total scumbag. Yeah, but he wasn't actually captured until 2008 when a DNA match linked him to the crime. 
And like the victim of the crime said she like unknowingly owned this movie even. And then in in 2007, he was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmate. So, So if we go back to Con Air, we realize that Nicolas Cage should be going right the fuck back to jail. Well, it's not really his fault either. You know, the guards should have never given him that hat. (laughs) The old hat in the cake trick. I was going to say, did he beat his cellmate to death with a shoe? Or the shoe shit. I was thinking of the fucking James Bond one. Yeah, I was like... And I was was right on board with you. I immediately thought it was the fucking bowler hat. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, because he is so odd job. Oh, my God. A shoe makes more sense than the hat. I'll give Austin Powers that, at least. Oh, sorry, (laughs) Colin. Your joke was better. You win this round, Stuart. Sorry. So... (laughs) Thank you. So, yeah, he is known for throwing his shoe and, of course... Uh, we also meet his number two man, number two, the legitimate face of VirtuCon, which is uh, the evil empire. And he is played by Robert Wagner, who is in Heart to Heart, The Towering Inferno, Midway, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Wild Things. And he gives a breakdown of everything the company has a hand in, including a factory that makes models of miniature factories. I love that joke. (laughs) It's a great joke. It's so good. Dr. Evil now lays out his own evil plans. Plan one. It's called blackmail, where the plan is to make it look like Prince Charles has had an affair unless the royal family pays a hefty sum. And the UK release date for this movie was September 5th. It was released in May in North America, but September 5th for the UK, Princess Diana died August 31st. So kind of like the Jeffrey Dahmer demolition man mistake that Colin pointed out. (laughs) Yeah, this movie came out after she died. It didn't do well in the UK, as you might imagine. (laughs) Well, yeah, the whole thing is making fun of British people. So, yeah. But yeah, that that joke, some of the theatrical releases managed to pull that joke in the UK, but not all of them. So it's like a 9-11 retcon. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. When it's pointed out to Dr. Evil that that's already happened, he moves on to plan two, a weather machine called a laser quotation fingers. I'm doing quotation fingers for those that can't see me. It will heat the earth and destroy something called the ozone layer in quotation fingers and again it's pointed out to him that it's already happened and he says well shit well let's just do what we always do and hijack some nuclear weapons this is the part where i really saw donald trump in his performance (laughs) which is kind of funny but unless they pay one million dollars and for the third time number two clears his throat to interject virtucon alone is a billion dollar company so we'll make the world instead pay one hundred billion dollars so cut to austin's private jet where vanessa needs austin to sign some release forms but because it's his thing and he's still a 60s swinger at heart he spends a lot of time sexually harassing vanessa instead by trying to get her to join her on his rotating round bed and yelling out things like do i make you horny baby i also like that the the world for some world famous which seems kind of redundant world famous secret super spy yeah he's in the celebrity wing of a cryogenic freezing place uh-huh. instead of like a, a government worker place or a spy wing and then he also has a private jet which is decorated to his liking it's not very private it's not like an <laughs> no, incognito no, yeah it's definitely vehicle. not discreet yeah mm-hmm. yeah i've always i've always wondered well two things 
does a revolving bed exist? Mm-hmm. And if it does, would it be enjoyable? Yeah, yeah, because there is a lot of... <laughs> As a carnival ride. It seems like it'd be yeah. disorienting. And I don't know, there's just something about also the bed revolving while you're flying. It seems like too many... It seems like <laughs> you're messing with gravity somehow. <laughs> yeah, that that's gonna that's gonna throw off your equilibrium somehow. Like if there's some turbulence, you might just start floating for some reason. I don't understand <laughs> yeah, exactly. the physics there, but... <laughs> So the conclusion of his advances is she will never have sex with him, ever. Even if they were the last two people on Earth and they had to have sex simply for procreation, never. A little foreshadowing in that line. So back to Dr. Evil's secret lair. Frau is telling Dr. Evil, remember when we froze some of your semen to make you a child if you didn't look like you were coming back? Well, after a couple years, we got impatient. So she screams for Scott! Oh no, that that's the reason why I'm the the Scott to your Doctor Evil. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm always yelling at you. No, no, no. Because you froze your semen and <laughs> had me created in a lab. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Wow. So we meet Scott Evil, who is played by Seth Green, who's from Can't Hardly Wait, The Italian Job, Idle Hands, Greg the Bunny, It, the Tim Curry one from the '80s, and Sex Drive. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and of course, so much voice work as the creator of Robot Chicken, and he's Chris Griffin on The Family Guy, and Howard the Duck in Guardians of the Galaxy. The great complicated father-son relationship begins. Dr. Evil wanting to show teary-eyed affection, and Scott wanting nothing to do with him. Get away from me, you lazy-eyed psycho! So we leave the lair, somewhere outside Las Vegas, to instead go smack dab into the middle of it, with Austin and Vanessa driving down the Vegas Strip in the Shaguar. Vegas, baby! A line that has probably been said at least once during every Las Vegas bachelor or bachelorette party since 1997, just like with Joey on Friends. They check into their hotel, where they will be posing as a married couple. What side of the bed do you want, he asks. You will be sleeping on the couch, Mr. Powers they need to start preparing for their mission nerd alert they are preparing their arsenals to austin's tiny ppk walter gun compared to vanessa's enormous one (laughs) and then of course the penis pump makes a return with how'd that get in there it's not mine honestly i mean i I did think it was a little bit serial killer like of vanessa to have all her clothes in Ziploc bags. Yeah. (laughs) i don't know that's a red flag for me (laughs) So Austin and Vanessa are walking through the casino. He's, of course, being a little silly again. Oh, there you are. (laughs) Yeah, the, hey, there you are. Hi, do I know you? No, but that's where you are. You're there. I love that. I love that line. (laughs) (laughs) Until Vanessa mentions Dr. Evil again, and he gets serious once again. Word has it that number two is in the casino. They find him at a blackjack table with a lot of vagina, (laughs) who is played by Fabiana Udenio who is in Hard Bodies 2, Summer School, In the Army Now, and TV. A lot of TV. Now I'll say much like you're Blazing Saddles. Oh, come on! A lot of TV! Oh, come on! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'll say much like your uh, your Blazing Saddles experience, I didn't have many spy movies experience before I watched Austin Powers. Okay. And the A Lot of China thing is one of those things that went over my head and I just thought it was a funny name. But that's like... Pussy galore. Actual, yeah, pussy galore, Zenya on your top. Yep, yep. Like, there's an actual, that's a thing in James Bond movies, and I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that until much, much later. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just, again, way way more funny than it has any right to be. I still laugh laugh every single time. This whole, the whole (laughs) casino, the whole, like, this casino part is probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. I'd, 
when I was a kid, I did not understand the blackjack stuff at all. Yeah, that just so that just went completely over my head because I didn't know blackjack. <laughs> oh, yeah, when he stays on like a four, yeah, or just, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he like, stays on. He stays on five, and it's like I also, I too like to live dangerously. Yeah, so and, then, and just the delivery from the casino guy: twenty beats your five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah exactly. <laughs> the soup Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly where we are. Uh, number two, plain blackjack and his eye patch, we find out, has an x ray so he can see through the plane cards. And he sees that uh, there's a four coming next. So he hits on his 17 despite the suggestion of the, of the soup Nazi to stand. Uh, but, and so he decides he likes to live dangerously and, and he gets a 21. After Austin busts out with hitting or staying on his five, uh, he uh, introduces himself to number two as Richie Cunningham and Vanessa as his wife, Oprah. Another joke that, again, funnier than funnier than it has any right to be. <laughs> but there's also even the beginning of that when he's like, allow myself to introduce myself. myself. It's, so, it's so funny. So funny. I laugh every single time. Well, number two excuses himself to go to the bathroom and Austin follows him. Now, here's the one that always gets me. This this is the one that kills me <laughs> oh, yeah. every time. This is a scene that doesn't deserve to be as funny as it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, if, if you think the blackjack is the funniest one, for some reason, this one just, it, it murders me every time. Who he, does number two work for? <laughs> he goes into the bathroom. Austin asks the blind attendant if he's seen anything at all. <laughs> Another line that's just stupid. Yep. <laughs> and this is the, we get the chatty cowboy coming in, played by Tom Arnold, and he enters the bathroom, and they each retire to their separate stalls. Like, uh, Tom Arnold in this is just ridiculously funny, and I don't know why, just the, hey, partner, have a good one, when he goes into the toilet. Can I get a courtesy <laughs> flush over here? <laughs> yeah. And, and, I mean, as a social experiment, I dare everyone to go and tell people in the stalls next to them to have a good one. And, and tweet us what happens at I used to like this one <laughs> uh, with numbers instead of letters just tell us what happens because just go and tell someone to have a good one in a stall but while austin is sitting on the toilet a secret compartment in the wall opens up and patty o'brien pulls out his lucky charm bracelet to start strangling austin and a whole bunch of hilarious misunderstanding from the cowboy as he hears austin straining and groaning and saying who does number two work for as chris said he ends up drowning patty o'brien with a swirly essentially because the cowboy has asked for a courtesy flush yeah I, and i'd like to point out that the flush kills him even though the flush would be the water emptying out of the <laughs> toilet <laughs> But it shoots it right up his nose. Oh, there we go. Oh, of course. And of course, the punchline to the whole scene. Oh, so good. Holy shit, boy. What did you eat? <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Oh. But uh, I mean, I'd like to know, though, where does number two disappear to anyway? Because as far as I can tell, there's only actually two stalls in this bathroom. And number two has entered. Austin has entered right behind him. Like, did he sneak out through the secret compartment in the stall before Patty did? Or? Well, I assume during the struggle he realized what was going on because he had the intel that but, Tom Arnold didn't. But no, but where was number two? There's only two stalls. The cowboy oh. has one. Austin has the other. Like, where is number two? Then he must have gone through that 
oddly placed wall compartment that was made for prohibition era or to hide something from the cops like i don't understand well may- maybe virtucon owns this hotel ah so they, and that's the bathroom they used doors. to kill people yeah that's right frequently oh holy shit boy what did you eat i Every time. Every time. Back to the secret lair. Dr. Evil's crew has stolen a nuke. They call the United Nations secret meeting room where they plan to get ransom from the world. A slip of the tongue asking for one million dollars gets him laughed at. But when he remembers he means 100 billion, he's taken a little more seriously. Cue maniacal laughter, which is a great moment. We ask on this show quite often, like, what does the next day look like? And this is kind of the same thing. The awkwardness once a moment has passed. It's like in the Avengers Endgame when you see the capture of Loki from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, well, enough of that. Like, I love how the laughter in this scene just dies out. And then it's kind of like, oh. Now we're just kind of awkwardly standing here. (laughs) (laughs) It's morning, and Vanessa is on the phone with her mother, Mrs. Kensington. They are discussing the sex appeal of Austin, while he, in the background, we see a completely bare-ass naked Austin waking up, stretching and walking around while his genitals are conveniently blocked by strategically placed items. This scene isn't as carefully rehearsed as I initially thought. No, because of course everyone's eye is drawn to the naked man and the Mm -hmm. sight gags. But if you watch Elizabeth Hurley, like you can tell she is super focused on making sure she gets it right. Like you can totally tell she's watching a monitor. (laughs) And they obviously have two monitors set up because there is one point where she very deliberately turns in her chair and you can see that she's like absolutely staring at another monitor or something Hmm, i'm gonna go watch that again later (laughs) i didn't notice that yeah well i mean you know vanessa hurley is so sexy to watch anyway that it's like hurley elizabeth hurley elizabeth kensington vanessa yeah exactly Their day has taken them to a stakeout outside Virtucon Worldwide Headquarters. They are trying to figure out how to infiltrate to see what's going on inside. But Austin, of course, gets distracted by Vanessa's beauty and starts taking pictures of her. And then I guess the stakeout is just done because now Austin just takes her for a night out on the town. Sure. Uh, Champagne and dinner on the top deck of an open-air double-decker bus with Burt Bacharach serenading them with, of course, a break of the fourth wall to make sure that we know that Burt Bacharach is in Mike Myers' movie. (laughs) And then back to the hotel for a drunken game of Twister. And then Vanessa is drunk as fuck, asking what her mummy was like when she was younger and absolutely throwing herself at Austin for some inexplicable reason. I don't understand the sudden shift in how she feels about him. Well, it wasn't a sudden shift. She does, like, lead on in the plane after he makes all his advances. Like, she kind of giggles to herself out of his view. Yeah. But to go from... Even if it was just for procreation to like, you know, suddenly she's just trying to get with him. I, I, I mean, I know we're dealing with a silly comedy, but her change is just so drastic and sudden. But drunk Vanessa passes out and Austin receives a message on AOL from Basil Exposition. And this is the shitty quality one that makes me laugh. He needs to break into a lot of vaginas to get intel about something called Project Vulcan. And so he goes on his own, obviously, since Vanessa is incapacitated. He finds the plans for Project Vulcan and takes a bunch of pictures with his mini camera. But then Alada comes home unexpectedly, and Austin has to improvise with his greatest weapon, his sexuality. (laughs) He seduces her, gets her into her hot tub. They have some sake, 
We'd get some fart jokes, a joke for, about Japanese women coming second to men, or sometimes not at all, and then they fuck. But, like, in the middle of this scene, she finds his business cards and discovers that he's an international man of mystery, yet she fucks him anyway. Like, he's irresistible. I, but he's I, some powers, man. I don't understand why. It seems like this would have been a better opportunity to slip him some drugs in his sake and, like, be a hero in Dr. Evil's organization. They could have captured him so much earlier. I don't think she's part of the the inner circle necessarily, though. No? No, I think she's kind of she's kind of has access to number two. But I don't think... I don't, yeah, yeah number, seems... number two's arm candy. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Evil, though, we go back to another scene with him where he's talking about Austin Powers getting too close. But that's okay, because they have a secret weapon to use against him. The Fembots. No man can resist them. And they demonstrate for Dr. Evil the power they have over men by bringing in the guards, who are ordered to kill the women. They all fall in love instead, and the Fembots shoot them all with their booby guns. But if men can't resist them, why are only the guards hypnotized by them? Because there are other men around the table. Like, why Fair isn't point. Doctor, or why isn't Number Two susceptible to the Fembot's wily charms? Maybe it's a localized radiation. <laughs> <laughs> Next morning, Vanessa and Austin are at the British makeshift headquarters. Is this just another room in the same t- hotel? Maybe. It seems like it. Like, it's definitely like a hotel room. Like, it feels like... The impression that it feels like is that it's actually the hotel room they were already in, posing as a married couple. But it's like they come home to it, whereas it's like they should have been sleeping there. Like, and they hmm. they set up this makeshift headquarters. Like, it must be another room in the hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this is the gadget scene, which every good spy movie needs... But I'm surprised that all that comes out of it is a watch and a chance to make fun of Austin Powers' teeth. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, man, like Austin Powers. OK, I don't remember the other two as well. So you guys seem to have seen the more the other ones more recently than I have. Do They have better gadgets in the other ones, right? Like they they do more jokes with gadgets. Yeah, I know in Goldmember for sure there's a whole thing around the car. Yeah. Like there's like they have kind of like similar to like later Bond films like the car is all souped up. I can't remember what the, if there is any weapon stuff in the in the spy who shagged me. Yeah, I can't think of anything in particular. Yeah, it just seems like such a missed opportunity though that you have this spy spoof movie and you don't come up with some ridiculous ridiculously specific gadget that helps you at some point in this movie. Well, it might have <laughs> seen it might have seemed like too easy like even in the bond films that's like a moment of like levity in the story like yeah yeah you got q in there doing goofy things while or just talking straight while there's a bunch of goofy things, things exploding in the background yeah. yeah i was gonna say they don't really have that character that's like, it. they don't have they don't have q or like a or like a yeah amalgam of that seems it. like a missed opportunity too yeah basil just kind of does everything like yeah. he is he is m he is money penny he is Q, like all kind of rolled up into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've made fun of Austin's teeth, and then Basil comes in to provide more exposition. Dr. Evil has a nuke, and the pictures that Austin got the night before show that Project Vulcan involves a giant drill taking that nuke to the Earth's core to set off every volcano on the planet. The plan to infiltrate Virchicon is to take one of the tours of the company. And before they leave, we meet Basil's mom, who Austin punches in the face in a throwback to the opening scene with the man in disguise. 
except this time he couldn't be more wrong. It makes me think that he does this frequently, hoping to be right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like maybe he just has a very low success rate and he just does this often. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up How I Met Your Mother because I know I binge watched it recently and I know Colin's aware of this one. It's like the naked man. Yeah. Two out of three times it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> Except at least you haven't punched somebody in the face. Or, and a, and a, wo- a woman, no less. Yeah. An elderly woman. An elderly woman. woman. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that would have made that scene funnier is if they had still replaced the woman with an obvious man, but it had not been a man. <laughs> We cut now to a group therapy session run by a doctor, played by Carrie Fisher. And to me, this is also still one of the funniest moments, having the Dr. Evil and Scott Evil in therapy together scene. We find out that Dr. Evil has, in fact, been trying to kill his son. We also get the hilarious and random monologue about Dr. Evil about his childhood, and also the knowledge that a shorn scrotum is breathtaking. Okay, Sean, so I... Actually, have a little bit of a surprise for you. I decided that since this is Chris's favorite movie, you uh-huh. know, it'd be a good time. And because we have a father-son dynamic here happening with Scott and Dr. Evil, that it'd be a time to do one of my favorite segments that usually you surprise me with. I used to like this one, Matt. What is it? I, I used to like, I used this, to like piece this one piece theater. theater. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I used to like, yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> So I decided that we okay, would do yeah. the therapy scene. And so we're going to switch it up. Scott or Chris is going to be okay, Dr. Okay. Evil. All right. You will be Scott Evil. And All right. I okay. will play the therapist. Sounds like a plan. <clears throat> yeah, let me, uh, let you guys let me gargle a bit here. <clears throat> let me flex my pinky. You got to stretch that gotta out Got to get that pinky. Bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you're going to lead us in, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. You okay. guys are ready? Ready. Ready. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? Why are you here? Well, it's kind of weird. We don't judge here. Okay, well, I just really met my dad for the first time three days ago. He was partially frozen for 30 years. I never knew him growing up. He comes back, and now he wants me to take over the family business. And how do you feel about that? I don't want to take over the family business. But, but Scott, who's going to take over the world when I die? Not me. What do you want to do, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking maybe I'd like to be a vet or something. Because I like animals and stuff. An evil vet? No, maybe like work in a petting zoo or something. An evil petting zoo? You always do that! Anyways, this is really hard because, you you know, my dad is really evil. We don't label people here, Scott. No, he's really evil. Scott? No, the boy's right. I, I, I really am evil. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're here. That's what's important. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. I just think, like, he hates me. I, I think sometimes he wants to kill me. Okay, Scott, no one really wants to kill anyone here. They say it, but they don't mean it. (laughs) Actually, the boy's quite astute. I I am trying to kill him. My evil associates have cautioned against it, so here he is, unfortunately, alive. Okay, well, we've heard from Scott. Now let's hear from you. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. That's not true. Doctor, please, tell us about your childhood. (sighs) Very well. Where should I begin? 
My father was a relentlessly improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, a sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. If I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 15, a Zoroastrian named Vilma ritualistically shaved my testicles. There really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. At the age of 18, I went off to evil metal. That's not, that's not the line. He goes, the actual line, he goes, <clears throat> there really is nothing like a shorn scrotum. I suggest you try it. And then it stops and everyone goes, whoa. <laughs> All right, end scene. <laughs> Good stuff. Not even the script on the website's correct. I'm glad that I, I know my stuff. Right on. I used to like this one piece theater. Awesome. <laughs> Which this this monologue is kind of retconned by the fact that uh, he turns out to be Austin Powers' brother in Goldmember or whatever happens in that one. Yeah. Yeah. So unless Austin Powers had the exact same weird messed up childhood. Yeah. Back to Austin and Vanessa, where for some reason Vanessa is also super jealous of the fact that he shagged a lot of vagina. Did you use protection? Of course, baby. Had my gun with me the whole time. <laughs> And she tells him that it isn't cool anymore, especially if you want to date me. And he's going to be alone in the 90s. Like, again, I just don't understand the acceleration of this relationship. Yeah. Vanessa Vanessa kind of loses a little bit of street cred with with her, her flip here. She, she kind of starts being, I don't know, the whole, like, independent, you know, she's a strong female spy. And then she, she starts that way. And then yeah. she just devolves into the swooning lover yeah but i do like how elizabeth hurley says condom i i don't know condom. i could listen to her i could listen to her say condom to me <laughs> cue introspective montage of austin driving around vegas seeing that he doesn't fit in and pulling an all-nighter learning a bit about what he's missed in the last 30 years but this is a whole other day that's passed before they infiltrate virtucon right maybe i thought no? it was just a We're night yeah, I thought he just pulls an all-nighter. Yeah, but, like, what time were they at the makeshift headquarters in the hotel room? I Early morning. Right. So, <laughs> they went to the makeshift headquarters. Then she tells him that, you know, he's being careless. They make the plan that they're going to infiltrate Virtucon. But now it's night, and he pulls an all-nighter watching news footage over the last 30 years. So, they've put off infiltrating Virtucon, like, an entire extra day, right? I guess, yeah, I guess. Well... What do you mean by an extra day? Wouldn't that just be they don't they don't do it that day and do it the next day? Well, yeah, if they go to the makeshift headquarters in the morning, it would be like, okay, you guys are going to infiltrate Virtucon this afternoon, mm. is what you would think. But it's been a night now. They're going to Virtucon the next morning. Maybe, maybe they only maybe. do tours on the weekend. Or maybe maybe they go in the morning, 
then the whole soul searching thing kind of happens in the afternoon to early evening, and then they infiltrate Virtucon at night. Yeah. I don't remember what time of day it is when they finally go to Virtucon. Uh, I think it's morning again. Yeah, I think it's daytime. Oh, yeah, because they go, like it's big a tour. Windows. It's a tour, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, saving the world is an oppressing issue. It can wait. I, a yeah, day. I, see, I just, I just feel like they need a bigger sense of urgency here. You know, it's... <laughs> But at this point, the Virtucon plan now takes place, I guess, the next morning. They are disguised as a cowgirl and a Sikh. <laughs> I Sure. An early appearance of the love guru. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. They are sitting in a tram for the tour, and Austin is assuring Vanessa that the Italian bird meant nothing to him. It was just a job. She, of course, has a jealous woman moment of, is she prettier than me? Uh Vanessa. The tram stops outside an authorized personnel door. They see a couple of Virtucon employees come out of the door to use the bathrooms, and now's their chance. Time to roll them and get some new disguises. And I still love this sight gag. It's hilarious with the the woman being like super fat and the man is really tall. Really, their really tall. Fit yeah. Perfectly. Like at least in Die Hard, John McClane couldn't find shoes that fit him. Yeah. <laughs> In their new disguises, they slip into the restricted area, which is seen by the tour guide, Bolton, who calls it in. They are thrown into a gun battle with some of the Virtucon henchmen. They're killing them off. Have you noticed that Mike Myers blinks every time he fires his gun? No. I didn't notice that, no. <laughs> we, we also get the classic joke of them getting into a steamroller and crushing one of the guys as he screams, No! It's so like, good. Oh, yeah. The three times that they cut back to him and yeah, it's like, no, out of the way, out of the way. I'd like to say his own incompetence led to his downfall, but just as easily Austin Powers could have stopped the steamroller instead of choosing to murder a man. Because then immediately after killing the guy, he gets off of the steamroller. Yeah, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> but ultimately they get apprehended by random task. Now dressed in quasi-futuristic silver clothing, Dr. Evil is having dinner with them. He calls the UN again to tell them how he's going to destroy the world. During dinner, Scott comes in and Dr. Evil says, I'd like you to meet Daddy's nemesis. And Scott is the only sensible person. What? You're feeding him? <laughs> he's basically the audience's view at the absurdity of the spy movie cliche. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like... I have a gun in my room. We can just shoot him right now. <laughs> we'll do it together. <laughs> but no, Dr. Evil would rather place him in a slow-moving, easily escapable trap. Out of view. <laughs> the trap in question is a platform suspended over a tank of water filled with ill-tempered, mutated sea bass because sharks with laser beams aren't allowed with sharks being on the endangered species list. Do you expect them to pay? No, Mr. Powers. I expect them to die. A line that is lifted almost word for word out of Goldfinger, which is awesome. But he expects them to die because even when the ransom gets paid, he'll be setting off the nuke anyway because he's an asshole. He closes the door on them. Scott can't believe he's not even going to watch. Seriously, I have a gun. We could shoot them together, which turns into the long drawn out shh bit, <laughs> which it still gets me. And then and what's what's the one in the next movie where it's the zip it? It's a, isn't it? Zip it. Yeah. yeah, zip it. Zip it. Yeah, zip it's in the next one. So unsupervised, except for one useless guard, they use toothpaste to blind the guard. Judo chop and dental floss. I get it. I have bad teeth, which is actually high tension wire to swing to safety and forcing the guard's head into the water where he gets decapitated by the sea bass. A few puns about losing his head later and they are out of there. 
They get their own tram to flee in. They reach a dead end in the hallway with a ladder. Vanessa is sent for backup while Austin is planning to go back after Dr. Evil, but not before a brief sentimental moment where Austin professes his feelings for Vanessa. If she wants him to be a one-woman man, that's groovy with him. Getting her to say one of his catchphrases, Oh, behave. She climbs the ladder out of sight, and he gets back in the tram and tries to turn it around in the narrow hallway, which... (laughs) (laughs) This one still makes me laugh really hard, too. (laughs) As someone that drives for a living. Oh, my God. (laughs) I really like people that can't drive. Back to Dr. Evil in the main chamber, clad in a see-through plastic suit and watching his drill set to work combined with some physical comedy from him because of his suit where he can't sit on the chair because it's too slippery and he can't put his pinky in his mouth because everything's covered in plastic. Back to Austin, who, in search of Dr. Evil, has discovered the Femboss. They gas him with their booby weapons. He's in bed with them, but he wants to be monogamous, so he's trying to distract his arousal away with things like baseball and Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. (laughs) Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. (laughs) He decides he can out-mojo them. They think he can't resist them, but on the contrary, it's them who can't resist him. And I Touch Myself starts playing. He strips (laughs) down to his Union Jack underwear, gives them all cigarettes, which is just the weirdest seduction. Weirdest part of the seduction is the throwing the cigarettes. And Pelvic thrusts his way to victory, causing their heads to explode. And in the aftermath of all these exploding fembots, he is discovered by Vanessa arriving with backups. He clumsily tries to explain that it isn't what it looks like, and there was cross-mogination, and luckily, she believes him. Thank goodness. I don't think we talked about it yet, but we just need to give an honorable mention to Austin Powers' chest hair, because it's it's so glorious. And also, because we're in this scene now, Vanessa Vanessa Kensington's leather suit also deserves another honorable mention. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it, it definitely does. Like, the short silver skirt when she's climbing up the ladder is one thing, but yes. Apparently, though, this black cat suit, she and Mimi Rogers wanted to keep their black cat suits, and they were allowed to. Oh, nice. So she still owns this. Her and Mimi Ro- Rogers still own their cat suits, which is kind of funny. But, I mean, looking at Elizabeth Hurley now, it's not like one of those old wedding dresses that a woman holds on to for years saying, oh, I wish this still fit me. Like, this is, like, you know that that still fits her (laughs) and that she would still be a fucking smoke show. In the main chamber, the drill is well on its way to the Earth's core. The Ministry of Defense, led by Austin and Vanessa, burst in, guns a-blazing. The song Secret Agent Man starts playing. I had a friend in junior high who always thought that this was Secret Asian Man. (laughs) (laughs) And he was Asian, so he was like so excited that there was a song about him. (laughs) Hmm. Bad guys are being taken out left and right with gunshots and judo chops. And just in the nick of time, Austin hits the big red abort button and stopping the drill. Dr. Evil slips out in the confusion, but Austin goes after him. Austin ends up finding Dr. Evil while he's looking for Mr. Bigglesworth and singing the Meow Mix theme. We get a moment of the bad guy monologuing and try to convince Austin that everything he used to believe in, like free love, is now considered evil. Oh, the irony. But it's a very groovy time of responsibility and fighting the power. It's freedom, baby. Yeah! Their exchange is interrupted by the entrance of a lot of vagina who has Vanessa held at gunpoint. Not to be outdone, Austin grabs Scott, who has just entered the room, and tries to hold him hostage in this standoff. 
And, of course, Dr. Evil says, go ahead and kill him. Kill the little shit. See what I care. (laughs) (laughs) But, Dad, we just had a breakthrough in therapy. I had the group liquidated. I had the group liquidated, (laughs) you little shit. (laughs) (laughs) And just the choice of using the word liquidated in the script, like, just so funny. (laughs) But Scott breaks free and runs away crying. And then to add more confusion to this climax, number two enters with a suitcase with a fembot sticking out. I've never noticed the Our suitcase with the, the, end, yeah. the leg and, and hair sticking out of the other side. But what were his intentions here? Like, was he just cleaning up because these fembots were his? Did he have like ulterior motives? Sexual intentions. Or irresistible. Yeah, like this is basically a real life doll. Like, it. I mean, sure, her head exploded. But all the bits that he would still need are there. But it just—I I just suddenly thought that—is—is this—is there a different joke going on there in the background with him having this suitcase full of fembot? But Doctor Evil orders Number Two to take powers away. But Number Two stands up to him. No, I've had enough of being pushed around by you. In fact, he has a business proposition for Austin Powers. But what it is, we never find out because Dr. Evil pushes one of his red buttons sending number two to his fiery death. Unless you've seen the sequel. Using this as a distraction, Vanessa uses a judo chop to escape Milada's clutches. I love how they just telegraph the fact that they're about to do a judo chop. (laughs) that would be like spock being like vulcan nerve pinch and then doing it (laughs) judo chop ha or daniel son crane kick ha (laughs) oh wait that one already has a big tell we 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 discovered but dr evil meanwhile manages to give them the slip yet again the whole place is unstable and coming down they gotta get out of there rather than go after dr evil they get out to the surface. Austin Power does a front flip into his shagwar, but ends up landing on his balls first onto his stick shift, where they speed off in the nick of time. So, I mean, we didn't have enough dick jokes in this movie, right? Uh, like, we had pee jokes, we had shit jokes. So, you know, we we needed someone getting hit in the balls, because we haven't had that yet. So, good job, Austin Powers. We got that in there in the nick of time. <laughs> and then we cut to three months later. So, this already bonkers timeline of Vanessa falling for Austin has now accelerated beyond control because it's only three months later and Austin and Vanessa are now married for some reason. Austin's teeth are fixed and we get a repeat of the nudity scene uh, with conveniently placed items except now it's both of them. Basil video calls them to provide a little closing wrap-up exposition. Vanessa has been promoted to a full agent. Austin will be receiving a knighthood from the queen and Dr. Evil is in the wind. Their room service shows up being wheeled in by random task who throws his shoe at Austin. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. In his hand-to-hand combat, Vanessa tosses him his penis pump. It's not mine, honestly. Who uses it on random task, pushes him out of the door on the room service cart, and closes the door. So I guess there's no danger of him coming back in? Like, he knocks him out, wheels him outside, and then just goes about his day again. Well, they gotta wrap it up. There's only a couple minutes left. <laughs> Vanessa and Austin go out onto the balcony where they see an odd star in the sky. It looks like Uranus, says Austin. And a quick zoom in on it shows us it's Dr. Evil's big boy spaceship. He's shivering and vowing revenge on Austin Powers. And except for some fun little stuff during the credits... 
The end. That last scene is is interesting to me because if I remember right, the spy who shagged me picks up almost immediately where yep. that one ends yeah, off, does. and you and you find out Vanessa was find a fembot and all that. See, that's why she married him so quickly. Yeah, there you go. Oh, so she was replaced somewhere along the way. Yeah. That's why she has the shift in personality. Thank you, Spy Who Shade, Man. for explaining that. You should write it you should write a draft of Awesome Powers 4 for Mike Myers to, yeah. to, to retcon that little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now Colin Chris on IMDB, it scored a 7.0 out of 10 and a meta score of 51. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 71% on the tomato meter and an audience rating of 77%. But Colin, those are just numbers. Like a bunch of pelvic thrusts from Austin Powers. Why don't you mojo us up some box office mojo? That's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> that that one wasn't working for me. I get I get what you're trying to say. Give us we'll some go reviews. to the people to hear one. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing about this was people had strong reactions either way, whether they liked it or hated it. So I picked some of the funniest ones I could find. The first one comes from Google Play Store from EA Estrada. He gave it a one star out of five and says, I'd prefer my eyes be gouged out by a rabid beaver rather than have to watch this stupid failure of a movie ever again. Jeez. Wow. Lexi Emery gave it two stars. And this, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this review is a little nonsensical. I'm going to read it as is. Okay, fun. Um, just note that there's zero punctuation. Okay. It's open for interpretation. Yeah, okay. Austin Powers, why you is so funny, you so, so handsome, you made me, you make me smile, I have the movie, that it seems like you always did, I love, always be my second baby, it was so miracle, yeah, I love you, I was just very, very sweetheart, I got all the stuff that I liked, (laughs) no, my name is Lexi, I am biggest fan of you, but I love you, Austin Powers, I really do, friend, my heart, if you want to meet it, might be my boyfriend if you want to so you asked me to go friday just for my heart would you like to it seems like she liked it but she gave it two stars does she think that austin powers is a real person yeah read it reading it reading it this time around i think she's asking austin powers out on a date yeah have you ever done one of those things on Facebook where your friend will post something and say, you know, enter this phrase and then use your center predictive text to to finish the <laughs> oh, sentence? Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's almost like she put yeah. in Austin Powers and then just hit her predictive text, and that's what it came out with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. From Rotten Tomatoes, super reviewer Christopher H. says, True, it's filled with dated 90s pop culture references, weak dialogue, and jokes that can sometimes descend into fifth grade levels of juvenile humor. But I'd be lying if I said this Mike Myers James Bond spoof wasn't hilarious. Myers does a great job of portraying two characters, the Dr. Evil scenes are by far the greatest highlight of the film. It's fun, stupid comedy romp, especially if you're a fan of the James Bond franchise because there are loads of homages to the Sean Connery era. Yeah, especially that one. Of course, a little bit the Roger Moore era, too, I would go with. Just because Roger Moore is probably the least classically handsome of all the, the goofiest James Bond. Bond. Yeah, he's he's the goofiest looking Bond. So hmm. and and he has he has some killer chest hair, if I remember correctly. There's also a a Woody Allen James Bond movie that well, it takes Royale a couple things a... from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the old I've only seen Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Okay. 
Those are the only Bond movies I've seen. I haven't seen anything before that. The one that you really want to watch is You Only Live Twice, which is a Sean Connery one. And you'll watch that one and you'll go, oh, Austin Powers makes so much fucking sense okay. right now. Like Dr. Evil makes so much sense right now. Because he's is... a Blofeld ripoff also, right? Yeah. Okay. The villain in uh, You Only Live Twice, he has a white Persian cat. Mm. He lives in a vault volcano lair he's like so many of the tropes from this mm. are lifted from that one i would say more than almost any other james well, yeah because in the spy shag me he's in a volcano lair yeah okay though i have one last one to end on a positive note it's four out of five stars from super reviewer dan m and dan is spelt with two n's which i thought was interesting he really went for it so he says yeah, baby, yeah. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, is a groovy comedy that's quite happening. <laughs> the story follows 60 super spy Austin Powers who's awoken from cryostasis when the infamous supervillain Dr. Evil rises to threaten the world with annihilation. The film is well-written and clever in how it satirizes the 60s spy genre, particularly James Bond. Is there another? I don't, um, was there more than James Bond? Well, yeah, because, like, the saint... I mean, it's not really spy, but the saint is okay. one that it was. Uh, well, maybe not. I guess it was get smart. Get smart was in the sixties, well? but that one was comedy spy. There, okay. Uh, there's got to be something that I'm missing, yeah. But okay. I'd say I'd say ninety five percent of it is James Bond, no matter what. Yeah. Okay. He continues on. Mike Myers and Elizabeth Hurley lead the cast and give fairly strong performances. Myers is especially suited for this type of outlandish comedy and pulls it off well. However, the humor does get a bit too juvenile at times, and a number of the jokes outstay their welcome. Not true. Yet, despite its flaws, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery is a swinging joint that's far out. Nice. So, yeah. I mean, the biggest knock on it from the reviews that I read is kind of like the humor style, but I think that's just, it's just a style of humor. You can't. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't like it, you're not gonna like it. But yeah, for sure. I don't know. The audience who loves the Austin Powers is definitely that's probably the thing that they love the most about it. I would say. Yeah, except for the meta score, which I mean, I'm beginning to think we need to start ignoring meta scores because they're always just ridiculously low. Yeah. Um, everything else is in the 70s, so I don't know, Chris, special guest, favorite movie, still your favorite movie. Where do you fall? Well, you know. It's my happening, baby, and it freaks me out. Yeah, 10 out of 10, <laughs> 5 out of 5, 100%. I fucking love this movie. I, I, I resisted doing as many of those as possible. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> it is my happening. Nice. I, I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it definitely is one of the ones where it's it's Mike Myers at his strongest. Like, Austin Powers, Shrek, Wayne's World, So I Married an Axe Murder. Those are the best of Mike Myers as far as I'm concerned. Plus, a couple of his dramatic roles. I do like his dramatic roles. Like, 54, he's really good in 54. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, Austin Powers, it yeah, you're, it doesn't get much better than this. I mean, Colin, what about you? I, I don't know. I don't know what I expected from this movie. I thought that I remember loving it. Yeah, I still enjoyed it, but I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as i remember enjoying it when i was a teenager for sure yeah. but i think it's still it's still funny i still have a lot of i don't know nostalgia for it i guess mm -hmm. i think the thing that this probably is like my sense of humor has just changed so i'm really not even though all those things still made me laugh i was still kind of like there were some of the other jokes where i was just like oh yeah i get it it's it's just i don't know 
It just didn't do it for me as much as I remember. Yeah. But I still enjoyed it. I would probably give it about, I mean, a, a 70% to me sounds sounds accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly I... low. Sounds incredibly low. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I, I, I know for me, like we've said a few times in this, I, there are things that do not deserve to be laughed at, but I still found incredibly funny. Yeah. It's amazing to see that brown face was still acceptable up to 97. Um, but Mustafa is such a small part of this that whatever. I mean, I didn't dwell on it like I usually do in our movies whenever we encounter something like that. But like I said, the the driving the jokes into the ground until they're dead and then until they come back again, like they, they still make me laugh. I, I love just endless humor like that whereas you know i'm not gonna go 10 out of 10 like chris is uh, i mean insanity but i'm somewhere 75 to 80 for sure yeah. i mean may- maybe even up all the way to like 85 i i still had a hell of a good time and kind of like chris said at the beginning this is the one that i'm most familiar with as well this is probably the one that i've seen the most and i think i'm kind of in the same boat as him with gold member i think i've only seen that like three or four times and so it did make me want to go watch the spy who shagged me yeah so the one thing i will say is the spy who shagged me i think that and maybe even gold member but gold member might be a little bit more equal amongst the three because I'm pretty sure Mike Myers plays four characters in that one. Yeah, because he plays a gold member as well, right? Yeah, he's yeah. gold member, Dr. Evil. Yeah. Fat Bastard and Dawson. Yeah. But one of the things that I kept thinking in this movie was I liked Dr. Evil the most. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the spy who shagged me, there's a lot more Dr. Evil. Mm-hmm. And that might be why it was... I think it's the most critically acclaimed one of the three. Yeah. Because that's when you get you get Mini-Me introduced mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. and all that stuff, and that's gold. Scott has an arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, I love Dr. Evil. <laughs> yeah, I know that with The Spy Who Shagged Me, the only disappointing part about that is the the lead actress. When you compare her to Elizabeth Hurley... I like her. ...or Beyonce in the third one, it's kind of like, oh, Heather Graham's hot, but she's the... She's kind of the... From what I remember, of the three. she has at least the most personality <laughs> out of all of them. That's true, yeah. 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 Shagwell, I was, right? I was going to yeah. say, I, dis- I disagree. I think, I mean, as much as I love Beyonce, I felt like she was the most... She was She was just so clearly a stunt cast yeah. uh-huh. that I found her hard to a little bit hard to stomach in that movie. <laughs> but I, 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 loved, I loved Heather Graham in this movie. I, I was shape. just being a pig and talking absolute, straight-up physical love. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Foxy Foxy in Goldmember was uh she was a smoke show. But Elizabeth Hurley, damn. So yeah, so there we go. That is Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Uh big thank you to Chris. You usually like to interject a couple last thoughts before we wrap things up. Did you have anything else written there that you wanted to mention that we missed? Nothing particular except that I thought the fact that you guys kept this in the 70 percentile range is absolutely insane it, it is the best movie ever made and i believe everyone should think that please go watch this movie it's so good i still love it i will say i still love it i just i can't i still can't believe it was snubbed for best picture that year 
It's an outrage that I, to this day, will not stand for. Uh, if you want to go to my Patreon, I have a, I have a petition going on right now. We'll get this. We'll get this corrected eventually. Stop the steal from 1997. Yeah. <laughs> so a big thank you to our first three-peat guest, my son Chris Wells. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is tell your friends, share our posts. It's word of mouth that really helps a podcast. Or if you want to go above and beyond and take a few minutes out of your day to log in and give us five stars on whatever app it is you listen to your podcasts on, a quick review. It doesn't really matter what you say. You could say, I don't know, Shagadelic, baby. I don't know. Just, it's the, just the help drive. Do I make you horny, baby? Do I? <laughs> <laughs> just go and give us five stars and help uh, drive us up the charts and help us get noticed if you want to check out our website you can do so at www.iselectthisone.com there you can find links to all our podcast episodes and all our social media if you want to check out our social media we have facebook twitter instagram please go like our post comment on our post let us know what you think share your post with your friends so that you can spread the word social media is the best place to find out what we're going to be watching so that you can watch it before you come and listen. And of course, we are also on Patreon. So if you want to support us financially and become a producer of the show, just go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one and donate to us. And I threw down the gauntlet a couple weeks back during Karate Kid. And that still stands. 10 new Patreon followers and Colin and I will watch Lavalantula. Give you a private show telling you what we think about it. I Used to Like This One is created by, posted by, and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells, music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the Capitals anywhere you listen to music. And join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I Used to Like This One.